0: You're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit bentreechurch.com. Well, it's summertime. What a great day to be at church, just to hear the voices of our brothers and sisters singing. Man, it's just good to see you guys here. Uh, By the way, if you're new here, my name is Paul Trimble. I'm the senior pastor here, and just a minute, we'll be preaching and going through this but we're so thankful for you joining us if you're on vacation or if you're like looking for a church home you're in the area we hope you find this a a warm and welcoming place and we'll get to studying the bible here if you want to go ahead and get that out uh, I think God's going to show up today. He has already, hasn't he? It's just been good. It's just been so good. Uh, who brought their Bibles? Let me see those things. Hold those things up. This is what we study. This is what the focus of this morning is. So if you don't have it, go ahead and, and uh, look on maybe your phone or iPad, um, but don't look at Facebook because God's watching. And I just, I, I just, like you can pull up the notes. There's a little QR code, or if you're not real tech savvy, that little square thing with the squiggles, hold your phone up to that. your phone has to be on by the way, um, and uh, try to kind of hold like the picture and it should bring up a way for you to pull up the notes you can follow along. Well, before we get in, there's a couple of things you need to know, just as church family. One is like, if you've been coming and you've kind of been kicking the tires a little bit, like maybe this is church home, but you haven't pulled the trigger, here's what you need to do. Here's your next step. Is a thing called starting point. It's after the gathering. This gathering starts at 1230, and just come uh, to that. I would, we would love to have you there. It tells you everything about the church, just kind of our basic uh, foundation, belief, how we started, all of that. Come to that. The other thing is, if you missed how at the first of the, our gathering today, our, our new coordinator for our D3 groups for our students, that's middle school, high school students, if you're one of those, or a parent of one of those, come right after the gathering, right down here at the front of the stage, or, or, if you go, hey, i I feel like I might want to help out with that kind of thing Like maybe be a D3 group leader or co-leader Or open your house to that kind of stuff Uh, Come talk to Hal as he gets that going for the fall We're so excited about that Well years ago, B.B. and I had the privilege of seeing the crown jewels in London, England Anybody ever do that? Raise your hand, let's see I'm the only cool one here So, I mean other than B.B. They were beautiful Precious stones, diamonds, rubies, sapphires, you've seen pictures. Every shape and color of stone set in the most beautiful gold and silver. Security is really high there behind the uh, the glass, the jewels set. And what's funny is if you see them, you can't stop. You can't like stare at the jewels. They have you on this moving sidewalk. So you're like, if you're like, look, did y'all like that? So you just can't stop, but you want to stop. Because you want to stare at these things as these jewels, they've got them lit up. and It's got behind like bulletproof glass, but they keep you moving. Now pictures don't do the crown jewels justice at all because as you move on this little moving sidewalk, every movement creates new colors from the diamonds coming out. Can you see that? In other words, each glance of the jewels produces colors, lights, sparkles that you didn't see just before. I was so impressed, to say the least. They wouldn't let me touch them, though. Here's why I tell you that. Scripture is a lot like that. A passage from the Bible can be read one day and understood, and you can get to what you think is the bottom of it, and one day, as you grow in your faith and your understanding as the Holy Spirit works through you, it's like a beam of light hits those jewels again, and it produces something even more incredible than what you saw before. Yes, it's the Holy Spirit that works to, uh, like a light that, that brings this, this stuff out of Scripture, God himself does that for us. But if he does that. The light he uses is other scripture. Like that light lights up it's it's crazy. Now, if you ever haven't ever haven't had, if you haven't ever had this opportunity to look at scripture this way, that's what we do here at Bentry. And I know it sounds crazy, but check this out. As you begin to see scripture from different points of view, from scripture, interpreting scripture, the Holy Spirit starts to change that meaning, grow it deeper. It doesn't change the overall meaning. I'm not saying that. It makes it deeper. God uses that deeper meaning than to change you. Does that make sense? I mean the real you. To grow you up into more spiritual maturity. Listen, it's true. Hebrews 4.12 says this. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden behind him, from him. But all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give an account When God's word is revealed in study, it cuts to the very heart of who you are. It exposes you, what you believe. Now, why bring that up here? Because we're going to take another pass at John 3, Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. You can go, Paul, we've hit that for a few weeks, and we're going to hit it for a few more weeks. I think God is going to give you some powerful insight And it's that insight that is going to change you and me. Not from my preaching, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit today is going to hit this jewel, this passage of Scripture. Once again, you're going to see something much deeper, this insight of who God is and how then you relate to this holy God. Well, let's turn to the Gospel of John chapter 3 as we continue in our series so that you may believe. That's the title. Would you bow your head and let's just go to God in prayer Father God in heaven, we do come before you as a church family, a body, the body of Christ. We want to know you. We want to understand you, who you are, your your character, so that we can worship you for who you are, so that we can worship in spirit and in truth, to, to grow our relationship with you, Jesus. Lord, each individual in this place is in a different spot, just spiritually in their their maturity. Lord, for those that are mature in their relationship with you, God, give them insight to grow them even deeper, deeper roots in your word. Speak to them. God, for those that are just beginning to grow in their faith a little bit more, God, take them to the next milestone. Reveal something true and show them who you are and how they must operate in light of that. And God, for the baby Christians, those brand new in the faith, God, reveal those fundamental things to them that they need to know just to begin to grow into some foundational truth. Help them to begin to understand these foundations of the faith of who you are, God, and then to understand who they are. Grow them up, God. Grow us all up. And Father, for those that are just dead spiritually, that are separated from you and that are lost, we pray that you would regenerate them, bring them to birth spiritually, bring salvation to them, call them to life, God, through the power of your Spirit. But no matter where we are, God, our prayer is that you would draw us to yourself through the power of your Holy Spirit working in this. Open up the Scriptures. Help us to take our thoughts and focus them on what you are saying to us today. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. Amen. We'll get that Bible out. One of the reasons I have all of us read the text that we're going to go through uh, it, that we study is that I want you to have this one pass like that. I want you to see the jewels, right? I want you to see them. And then we'll take one jewel at a time, one scripture at a time. We'll go through it. So let's stand together, if you can, and take our first pass by these jewels. I'll read the passage and you listen carefully. John 3 verse 1, there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Thank you, God, for your word given to us. Amen. You may be seated. Nicodemus. This ruler of the Jews, Israel's very top teacher, the theological dude, he comes to Jesus under the cover of night. He understood from seeing Jesus do these miracles, these signs, hearing him preach that this guy is from God. Now he doesn't know who Jesus is specifically. Maybe Jesus is some kind of prophet, like, uh, you know, one of the Old Testament guys. But I think really Nicodemus is asking Jesus a question and yet he doesn't ask a question but notice he, Jesus answers a question. I think the question that he's asking inside of him is are you the Messiah? Are you the promised one? And of course Jesus is the son of God, God himself, so he sees Nicodemus's heart, the core of Nicodemus, and Jesus sees the real and deeper question Nicodemus has before he even asks it. Nicodemus's question at its heart, I think, is how can I get to God? How can I be saved? Nicodemus gets some good news, gets some bad news. What's the bad news? That you can't do anything to get to God. That nothing you can do will add up to salvation of being saved. From your sins. nicodemus you can't save yourself you can't even make enough money you can't have enough education you, you can't even have enough power you can't even be nice enough or loving enough you can't even do enough good works and you can't even memorize enough scripture to save you nicodemus you can't get to heaven there's nothing you can do that's bad news right because Nicodemus knows that he is separated from God, a holy God. Why? Because he is sinful, just like you know you are, and I am. So, what is the good news Jesus gives him? To be able to see God, something must happen to you. And what is that thing that happens to you? Something that God does to you. He causes you to be born again, regenerated, born spiritually. Jesus is liking this spiritual birth from God to like a physical birth of a human baby. Just like you didn't have anything to do with you being born physically the first time, but after you were born physically, as you grew up and you began to understand what it is to be a human, you grew, you took responsibility for your life. Well, some of you did. The good news, Jesus said, is that there is a way to get to God. But that can't happen with your own efforts. It must be totally something from God alone. Nicodemus doesn't understand being born again, what that really means. But what he does understand is that he cannot get back in his mother's tummy, right? He knows that. He understands that Jesus is using that as an analogy to make a point that it is impossible for Nicodemus to do something that would cause him to be born again spiritually. Now, last week we studied verse 5 in depth, what it means to be born of both water and spirit. You remember that? But what I want us to see is the Holy Spirit shine a light on verse 6 and let this diamond sparkle. Look at verse 6. Whatever is born of the flesh is what? Flesh. And whatever is born of the spirit is, say it, spirit. One of the big things I want us to see here right off the bat. God does not use anything from us to bring about the new birth. Write that down. Believe it. Put it in your heart. God does not use anything from us to bring about the new birth. We know from scripture from Genesis to Revelation is that mankind has fallen into sin. Totally depraved from God's point of view. The doctrine we are referring to here is original sin. Let's see if we can get a handle on this. The first man Adam was our federal head Write that down, even if you don't understand it. The first man, Adam, as in Adam and Eve, was our federal head. Now, what we mean is that Adam disobeyed God and fell into sin, and he is our representative. You tracking? That's what federal head means. It's why we call our national government the federal government, because we have representatives in Congress, right, that represent us and vote on legislation on our behalf. They're our federal head representative. So why does Adam represent us? Why does, we didn't vote for him. We didn't vote for him or have any say in Adam being our federal head. Why is he our federal head? Here's the reason. Adam is our federal head because we all descend from that man. The first man, Adam, as he sins that first time, he took all of us down with him. His original sin was imputed to us. Now, how do we know this? Because we die. Physically, spiritually too, but you know this because you are in the process of dying. Here's the way we need to think about it. When we are born, we don't start out with zero in our sin account. No, I mean, even a baby. We are born sinners, or another way to say it is that we are born sinners in Adam. That that cold hard truth is what we live in unless God intervenes. We will die. In Adam, under the curse and the wrath of God, what we're talking about is hell. That's the way we're born, that's our natural state. We will go to hell if unless God intervenes. But praise God, he has intervened. He has intervened by sending his one and only son, Jesus. The apostle Paul calls Jesus, check this out, the second Adam. God sends Jesus, this second Adam, to provide a way uh, to clear the sins we have committed against a holy God. Now think of it this way. This is a little formula. Original sin what we've just been talking about, plus sin we actually commit. You add those together, it equals our guilt. You see how that works? Original sin, talking about Adam, plus sin we, have actually, we actually commit equals our guilt. You could even say we are at war with God, enemies of God, separated from God because of this. This. But here is what Jesus does when he calls us to life in him and we are born again. Here it is. Jesus pays the cost of believer sin. Plus, Jesus credits his righteousness, his goodness to believers. Equals declared righteous in God's eyes. Now make sure you get this. Jesus pays the cost of believers' sins. On the cross, when he dies, he he nails that sin to the cross. Jesus then credits his righteousness to believers, and we are declared righteous in God's eyes. Now, here's another thing that separates us from all other religions. Right here. God, in the process of saving us, does not patch up our body and our spirit and our soul. No, 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 no. God places his spirit, a new spirit within us. That is the first step of our salvation. We are connected to God again. That is our regeneration, our new birth. But then God begins to build a new soul within us. Remember, the soul is the core of us. The sum of our identity, our thoughts, our minds, our desires, our emotions, our, our passions, the Holy Spirit of God begins to give us new desires, the new thoughts, a new operating system to live by. And remember, eventually, we will all be given a new body. Amen? Amen. A new resurrected body. Check this out. A body without sickness or sin. One that won't die. A body like that of Jesus' resurrected body. And we wait patiently for that new body at our resurrection from the dead when Jesus returns to take his people home. The apostle Paul sums up this transformation of the old us by God this way. He says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. See, the new has come. Made new. Now, let's just take a look at Jesus' words again. With what we just learned. In verse 6. Whatever is born of the flesh is what? Say it. Flesh. Flesh. And whatever is born of the spirit is what? Spirit. Spirit. Now, what we just looked at with this transformation of the body, soul, and spirit were the facts. That's all we did. But here's the principle behind that new life in Christ how it's to be lived out every day. Now, this is valuable if you can kind of grab a hold of this because this is actually how we live. Verse 6 says, Whatever is born of flesh is, say it, flesh. Whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Let me see if I can give you a way to think of this. Think about like DNA, the genes we all carry from our parents in our body that tell ourselves the cells how big they can be? What color eyes we need to have? Uh, how long we live? They say the human genome is something like 3.2 billion parts. The reason I have brown eyes is I, I picked up a certain DNA parent uh, DNA pattern from my mom, and then one from my dad. Dad, and, and look, obviously they had great looks, right? Because I picked those up. Here's what we know about the very basics of DNA. Get this down. Write this. Like produces like. Like produces like. I know this feels like sixth grade science class, but hear me out. A boy dog and a girl dog will produce puppies, other dogs. What I mean is that two dogs can never produce a cat, never produce a horse or a snake or tomato, or a Buick. The DNA building blocks of life in a dog simply won't allow a little girl dog, a little boy dog to produce anything but a what? A dog. Now you're probably thinking, Paul, that's great. I really probably knew that already, that dogs can't have Buicks. Jesus is telling Nicodemus something here. Man can only produce that which is like himself. And what are we like? Naturally. Sinful, messed up, fallen. We literally can't help it. We're just sinful, aren't we? Here's another big thing for us. Write this down. Mankind can produce nothing spiritual. Mankind, all of us, can produce nothing spiritual. We can produce physical, but nothing spiritual. Or to say it another way, naturally speaking, sinful, fallen mankind can only produce another generation of naturally fallen, sinful mankind. It's said that the definition of insanity is continuing to do the same thing, but expecting different results. Only God can produce a kind of spiritual DNA that has his characteristics of sinlessness and the eternal Spiritual, when, when Jesus says in verse 6 that, that term flesh, what does that mean? Well, think of flesh as, we all think of it being like the soft parts of us, not our bones, right? That's the fleshy part. But this is not what Jesus means here with this word flesh. The word flesh in verse 6 of John 3 is referring to the entire person, body, soul, and spirit. The word flesh... In verse 6 is referring to the entire person, all of you, body, soul, and spirit. As you read the Bible, you need to understand that. Since the fall of mankind, way back in Genesis chapter 3, all of mankind is born naturally into sinful desire. Remember, when God creates Adam, the first human, and then God says, Dude, it's not good for you to be alone. So then God takes what? The flesh from the side of man... And creates the first woman, Eve. Now what does Adam say when he meets Eve for the first time? Hubba, 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 right? He doesn't say that, but you kind of get that. Because he breaks out in poetry. Like this, this huge poem. Look at verse 23 of chapter 2. or chap, Yeah, chapter 2. And the man said, this one, talking about Eve, at last is born of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Born, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman. For she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother. And bonds with his wife. They become one flesh. This is good news. Adam is just talking About, man, we're becoming one. He's not just talking about the physical union here. He's talking about that. Let's be clear. By the way, that's a good thing for married people to do. You know? But this is not just the physical union. What Adam is trying to say here is that man and woman are to be united body, soul, and spirit. He's prophesying here. Although that they are created as two individuals, they become one entity together. So much so that the future life from that point on, all life on earth, I mean human life, cannot be created without the man and the woman. What what we're saying here is that the first man and woman become one flesh, body, soul, and spirit. After the fall, though, after they sin, then the word flesh takes on a new meaning, a slightly different meaning. So watch. It still means mankind's body, soul, and spirit, but now, after sin enters the world through that first sin in the first man and woman, from that point on, mankind is driven, listen, not by a pure, sinless innocence, but mankind is motivated then By this depraved, sinful, fallen human nature. I would describe it, but it's your life every day. It's what you struggle with every day. Me too. And like a sinful DNA, the flesh now simply reproduces itself all the way down through you sitting here. All through history, it's only produced sin all the way down. Right here to you. You're sinful. You're messed up. Me too. We've been poisoned by sin, quite literally, born into it. It's our natural state. And that doesn't mean that everything we do is always the most sinful thing we could possibly do. It's not what it means. But it does mean that everything we do, and I mean everything we do, even what we consider good comes from tainted hearts, a a sinful nature passed down all the way from Adam. That is what Jesus is talking about to Nicodemus, original sin. Or in other words, Jesus is saying, Nick, it's not that you don't want God and see him. That It's that you have no ability in your flesh to see God. Let let me see if I can give you a couple examples of this. Hang with me. Anyone ever played tug of war? Like in school, I hated that game. Anyone else hated it? Like in PE, you get two teams that are tugging on a rope and, and usually there's something in the middle like water, something nasty you fall into. In, whatever team wins is the team that's strongest. Picture that in your head for a minute. Two two teams pulling on this rope. Usually there's a ribbon right in the middle and when you see that little ribbon go to a, a, to a far enough place, you go, that team wins. Based on the stronger team. Now, if the two teams are equal, the ribbon just kind of bobs in the middle, doesn't it? All right. Pay close attention. Before Adam and Eve sinned, before they sinned, human flesh was like the marker in the center on the tug of war. It just kind of stayed in the middle. It didn't go anywhere. Because on one side was the flesh. There was a temptation to sin. We know that because they were tempted and fell into sin. And on the other side of the tug of war was this spiritual connection to God, a consciousness of God. Now before original sin, before that first sin, God had made people so that our spirit connected us to God's Holy Spirit and that would dominate our lives. Before original sin, Adam and Eve did not have to sin. But they were free to sin. Do you see the tug of war between the two? The way Adam and Eve were made before sin entered the world is that their God-given spirit, their connection to a holy God would drive the course of how they were to live their lives and how they would grow in their abilities. But sin came. Once they sinned, their spirit, their connection with God, was severed. It was cut off. Suddenly, the rope on the tug of war, nobody's pulling on the other end. They're just like all fell down. There's only one side. Adam and Eve's flesh, their body began to drive their desires, their future. They go, what do I want? There was no connection to a heavenly father. And remember, Adam is our what? Our federal head. We're all born into that. And although we are born into sin, some people are pulled harder towards their fleshly desires. Our human nature is distorted because of original sin. And sins we actually commit. Another way to think of it is how an airplane flies. It's got wings, it's got a fuselage, and it's got an engine that pulls the plane through the air. But what happens if that engine dies? Well, the airplane is still an airplane, but it starts to nosedive. It can't do anything else. It doesn't have anything to pull that through. Does that make sense? When Jesus uses the term flesh, flesh is born of what? Flesh. Nicodemus must have understood this well because in Hebrew scripture, this is packed full. The Old Testament is packed full of this word flesh. It means that. Now, like in Jeremiah, God says this. This is God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 17 verse 9. The heart, remember this is in the beating part of you. This is the core of you. The heart is more deceitful than anything else. And incurable, who can understand it? We call the flesh the natural man, or sometimes you hear Christians call it our Our flesh or our old sinful nature, the old man in us, the old woman in us, or like Bill and Ted in their excellent adventure, the evil other us's. Anybody remember that? Yeah, some of you are dorks like me. King David called his sinful desire this. Look at what he said in in Psalm 51 verse 5. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. Now, how is that possible? Well, he takes it a step further. He says, I was sinful when my mother conceived me. When I was less than a centimeter long, I was sinful. How could that be? Now, don't get the wrong idea. David isn't slamming his mom and dad. But simply saying being born on this planet, mankind is born into the fallen state without a consciousness of God. A connection of God. But check this out. Although we are born without a consciousness of God, what we are born with is a hole in our heart that longs for God. You already know that. You know we are missing something in us. It's what drives you. It's what, it it dominates your life. It does me too. Even if we don't know what we're missing we are longing for something and we try to fill it with anything we might think might fill that void in our connection to God. We might not know, not know it's our connection to God that's missing, but we know there's a void. We know there's something wrong. Jesus tells us this in Mark 7 verse 21. This is Jesus. He says, from within, he's talking about the, our heart, out of people's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, thefts, murders. Adulteries, greed, evil, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. (laughs) Now we like to think, well, the world is an evil place. And it is. And that there's sin out there. But basically I'm a pretty good person. John Calvin, though, puts it this way. It's certain that man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face and then descends from contemplating to scrutinizing himself. You see what he's saying there? As long as we don't look beyond earth, we might be content with our own righteousness, our own goodness. And we might say, well, I'm pretty good based on everyone else. But once we begin to raise our thoughts to God through scripture, we start to see our evil, sinful nature. Brother, it's at this point that we can begin to see the perfect and holy who he is and how horrible we are when we compare ourselves to God. But maybe you think, well, I'm, I'm in the heart of me, though, I'm basically good. Yes, I've done some sins, but you would just be arguing with Jesus. By the way, I'd put my money on Jesus. Jesus said that, Evil is coming from the inside of you. Your heart, your emotions, your flesh is producing what? Sin. Certainly our scriptural uh, enemy, Satan, wants to tempt us to sin more and more, doesn't he? To drag us further and further from God. But let's just be honest. Satan does not have to tempt us very much, does he, to get us to sin? I mean, I get the picture like Satan comes up to us and goes, hey, you want to? And we're like, yes, yes, whatever it is. Sounds good to me. Can we start now? The Apostle Paul tells us this in Romans 8 Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Why? We all have sin. It's the only thing it'll produce. Or to say it another way, for those of us in our natural state, even the best of what we have to offer in our actions and beliefs have no way of bridging this gap between us and God. It's the bad news God gives to, or Jesus gives to Nicodemus. Oh, We looked at this verse last time, but it's, it's so true. Check this out. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit. Because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it's evaluated spiritually. It's spiritual. He doesn't have the spirit. He doesn't understand it. He goes, that's crazy talk. Now, here's the thing. I can read all of this stuff, but because of my own sinful nature, I automatically think, oh, yeah, well, it's the other people that are worse than me. I mean, guys like Hitler, (laughs) drug addicts child molesters, thieves, drunkards. They're awful. I'm basically good compared to them. Man is sinful, but that is is not what God wants us to hear. Man is sinful. We hear all mankind is sinful and born that way. But what I think we have to hear is that I am sinful. Say that to yourself. I am sinful. Just say it. Some of you don't believe it, do you? But you are. I mean, you are jacked up. But what I think we have to hear is that I am sinful. Yes, every man, woman, and child is sinful, born apart from God in a fallen state. But it's just as true and more important to realize that I am sinful. I need God. I'm lost without God. Yes, every man, woman is sinful, but it's so much more important to go, oh, no, that I am. All oh, that I... I can, and that I can only have him in terms of faith in Christ alone through grace alone to the glory of God alone. That's what we've been learning, right? Now, Romans 3, verse 12 says, all have turned away, all alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Now, hang on. Worthless? Isn't that a little strong language? And to say, No one does what is good, not even one time in the history of anything. Isn't that a little over the top, God? Because haven't we seen people do good stuff that aren't saved? And the answer is no, you haven't. The language is exact. It's true. It's our perception that is off. What Jesus is teaching Nicodemus is that the reason God doesn't save people based on anything in them is simply that mankind in their natural sinful nature is simply not able to produce anything other than sinful natural human nature and to produce children with sinful human nature and grandchildren with what? Sinful human nature. That's all we got. But what we can do is to make ourselves look better than we really are. Hello? I mean, we're pros at that, right? It's why social media is such a success. I I want you to see me better than I really am. That's why I I look through all my pictures on my jeeping runs. I go, which one makes my beard look the best? (laughs) Which one? I I suck in my stomach and I want to look good for you like you don't know that I'm fat. You know, I, I look at that. I I don't show my bad side when I'm just getting out of bed. No, I want to show you a picture of me looking my best. Let me see if I can give you an analogy. Picture an old rusty water pump, hand pump. Like in the old westerns, right? You know, it's clanky, you walk up to it, you're thirsty, it's hot. No water comes out, so you pump it harder. You've read, well, you got to pump that thing a lot to get water. So let's say you pump that water and finally starts spurting. And you go, oh, here it comes. It's good stuff coming out, but it's all nasty and like gray, and it comes out in clumps. It's bad. You can't drink it. You can't even. It smells horrible. But you heard that if you keep pumping uh, that cleaner water over come up so you pump all the harder and more nasty horrible stuff comes up you get the picture picture your dog is thirsty too you're like in the desert you're you're hiking with your dog you come up on this pump you're pumping your dog comes up to the water and he smells that he won't even have a taste and your dog eats his stuff <laughs> he's not going to drink this water what's the problem the well is bad but what if you painted the pump though and you, you shined it up, you made it look good? Would that make the water any better? No, why not? It doesn't even help if you make that pump gold-plated. The pump handle doesn't matter. It's the well is bad. That is your spiritual condition. You were born into sin. There is simply no way for you to pump good out of nasty This is what Jesus is teaching Nicodemus. This is the bad news he gives Nicodemus. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh. It's nastiness. Our flesh is desperately wicked, incredibly evil. It cannot produce anything that is righteous. So what does Jesus tell Nicodemus that we need? He says a new spirit, a new birth of a new spirit that that will produce real life and permanent change. Can I just ask you a question? Have you been born again? Do you have God's spirit in you or are you just painting the pump and trying to make us all believe that somehow you're saved because you look pretty good? Is there new water being produced in your life to those around you, like life-giving water or are you still pumping up the nastiness of your life? Your family knows. Your close friends probably know. Here's the deal. You have to face this one way or another. Until you admit that there is nothing in you that can satisfy God's holiness, his standard of righteousness, you'll just keep on trying to look good for all of us. We don't matter. It doesn't matter what we think of you. Because honestly, it doesn't matter how we see you, good or evil. It only matters what God thinks of you. How he sees you. Now when Jesus tells Nicodemus this. Whatever is born of of the flesh is flesh. And whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Flesh, natural man, human effort cannot produce anything that is not tainted with sin. So a person must be what? Born again. Born into what? Born of the Spirit. Regenerated. And that does not come from us. It can't. Why? God must bring that new birth about through faith in Christ Jesus. And the faith is a gift. Now, for you believers in the house, you Christ followers that have have the Spirit of God, this connection to God. You have this grace offered through faith in Jesus' death on the cross, paying for your sins. What happened to the old part of you when you were born again? I mean the nastiness. What happened to the flesh? There are some that say it goes away. I disagree with them. When we baptize someone here at Bentry, if you've been here, you notice we put people under the water. It's like burying them and then raising them back up to life. The Spirit of God being raised into life, the new you. The, The water doesn't save you. It's just showing what has happened to you. It's a beautiful thing. I love that. But check this out. But is the old flesh, the old sinful you, really gone and dead? Well, kind of. It's dead, but make no mistake, it's still around. The flesh is defeated. It's like a defeated enemy. It's lost the war. It can't win, ultimately, but it can fight a sort of guerrilla war and hit you when you're least expecting it, causing serious trouble. Now, have you ever heard... This apostle Paul say this. Look at Romans 7:18. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my flesh. For the desires to do what, the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. Now Paul is talking about a battle that every Christian faces on a daily basis. A battle between our new redeemed spiritual side that connects us to God and our old sinful desires. Some Christians will try to argue, no, our, our sin nature is dead and gone. But the apostle Paul teaches that for Christians, the redeemed still wrestle with sin. Look at 1 John. 1 John chapter 1 verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. John's talking to Christians here. Because here's the truth. Back to the analogy with the tug of war. With the two teams battling it out. Pay close attention. When we become a Christian, in a way, we are back to what Adam and Eve were in the garden. We're forgiven and we have this sin on one side, this temptation pulling on the flesh, and God and his holy spirit within us pulling on the other. And the other side we have this new spirit of God in us, the reborn us. You see that? We're back in a way, in a sense, like Adam and Eve. And here's what we need to know. Oh, please get this. For a Christian, our new nature from God can do nothing bad. Can do nothing bad. And the old nature from the flesh can do nothing good. For a Christian, someone in Christ, our new nature from God can do nothing bad. And the old nature from the flesh can do nothing good. I've listened to pastors given the invitation to become a Christian and I've heard them say things like, well, if you give God your life tonight and invite him into your heart, your life will be so much easier and better And certainly God does give us peace and joy, and it is better, but I would argue it's not easier. In fact, when you become a Christian, when you are born again, it begins a battle within you because before we are a Christian, we know what we want and we know when we want it. We want sin and we want it now. But once you have been regenerated by the spirit of God, it's like we become kind of a schizophrenic in our our struggle. We battle between wanting to do one thing and desiring it, but also wanting and desiring to do the bad thing. It's that tug of war again. You see it? The tug of war begins again. Now, which one wins? Ultimately, the good side Will eventually, if we are truly saved, the new man in us, the spirit of God gave us, we'll, when we're born again, that eventually will win eternally. But on a day-to-day basis, listen close, man, if I'm not careful, I can fall into the same old sinful desires that have plagued me since my youth. And if I feed that stuff, dude, the old flesh side starts to win. And then all of a sudden, the guilt comes in and waves. That comes from the Holy Spirit of God. Praise God, working within me to produce guilt to stop sinning. Like a parent telling a child, don't touch the hot stove. Why? You touch it, shh, oh, it hurts. But praise God, not only does guilt come, but the grace of God comes. Because I remember that I've been set free from sin. I've been set free from sin. Sin has no hold on me, baby. Because of Christ forgiving my sins and giving me his righteousness, even though I just sinned, God looks at me and sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus. Praise God. Now, do you get that? We battle, Christians battle sin. We are called to hate sin, hate our own sin. We are called to do battle with it, pull against it, tug of war. The apostle Paul says this in Colossians 3, verse 5. Therefore, put to death what belongs to you. Go to war, to what your earthly nature Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. He says, do battle with it. Kill that stuff within you. And one day, one day, when we die, or when Jesus returns... The old man in me will finally be dead and gone forever. Praise God. We won't have the ability or the desire to sin. We will truly be free in heaven. God hates sin. And so should we. It brings death. It brings judgment on those outside of Christ's offer of grace. We must starve the flesh, sin loving side of us, and do our best to kill it. And feed the spiritual side of us with daily feasting on his word. Stay in prayer. Stay in constant conversation with God. Connecting with other Christians through the local church. And hearing his word preached each week here. We call this the ordinary means of grace. How God delivers his grace to us all the time. It's why we do church like we do. Like brother... I'm doing my best each week to prepare a spiritual meal of meat and potatoes, something good that will grow you up. We, we, we ain't talking about spiritual lucky charms. I'm feeding you God's word so that you build the spiritual side of you so that you can do battle against the old flesh in you, the sinful side of you. It's the reason I ask you, no, no. I beg you, don't miss church. Church. It's a battle. Plug in daily to God's word and prayer, to your D3 groups. Join with brothers and sisters in Christ because the struggle, this battle, we all face it. Connect to the church. Let God's grace pour through you. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to hear. Your word preached. The changes that you have brought about in our lives. God, we're humbled that we can even approach your throne in prayer and in worship like we have. Because of your son, because of your love giving us your son. And Christians, as you just continue to pray, just take a few moments to... To look at the sin side of your life. Listen, if you are a believer in Christ Jesus, your sin is forgiven. But I get it, you're sinning each day. So maybe take just for the next few moments and just admit that sin, whatever it is, just talk to God, confess that sin, pride, lust, idolatry. Name the sin specifically. You're already forgiven of that sin. So then why do you repent? Because you love God. You love Jesus. So just say, help me to live the life you've called me to live. I repent. I turn from it again. Maybe it's one time. Maybe it's a thousand times. Continue to repent. It's a life of repentance like we talked about last week. So you just take this moment right now to do that. And for you non-Christians out there, would you look at me for just a minute? If you don't know you're saved, or you know you're not saved, you know you're not a Christian, look up here for just a minute. Here's how being born again happens. Listen to me. Believe Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of God. Do you believe that? That is faith. Faith has been given to you by God. Believe that he's the Son of God, God Himself. And that he died on the cross, nailed to that cross, he became sin for you. Check this out. To believe that he's the Son of God, to believe that he took your sin on him as the perfect sacrifice, that he died with that sin paying your cost. Now, how do we know it's you? Because you believe. Do you see that? How'd you believe? Because you were given faith to believe. And to believe that God raised him from the dead. This is huge. And people like to try to make this more complicated than it needs to be. If you believe, if you have faith, then you will what? Repent of your sins, turn from them. Your sins are forgiven, so turn from them. Talk to God for just a moment. We say it, we call it prayer, but just just talk to God. Just to say, God, I believe that you love me. I believe that you sent Jesus to die for my sins. I believe Jesus, your son, took my sins to the cross and have paid for them, all of them past, present, future say this thank you thank you for giving me your son for loving me when I didn't care who you were for calling me out of death and into life thank you God that you raised Jesus from the dead proving that he is in fact God and thank you for raising me from my spiritual death then, add this part onto your prayer, simply say, "Thank you for saving me. I repent from my sins, I turn from them. and for the rest of my life i'm going to do my best to follow you, Jesus, in every step of my life and end your prayer like this in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray amen we're got- Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bent Tree Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit benttreechurch.com.